Do you like maps? How about a detailed hand-drawn map that reflects your favorite people, places, and things? Visit Cartograph Me on Instagram or Facebook and see the possibilities and the works of artist Philip Bailey. Remember, Cartograph Me putting you on the map. They say the eyes are a window to the soul. This American Jollo is the window to fashion, disco, and white women with terrible braids. Eyes of Laura Mars starts now. We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store. Back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing inquiring minds want to know? I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick incrustations dying on the surface. What the prime time gets. Mom with the new flesh. The pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite as for our deaths. Come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. I've got to return some video Hello, horror hounds, and welcome to the It Slays podcast. I'm your humble host, Rowan. It's Exilia. And this is Lana Del Rey's mesh face mask, Mike. And uh, we are back. We have, we're all wearing our best sequence dresses, fancy heels, and we're ready to disco. We're ready to party. We're stomping. <laughs> Let's jump in to the pick this evening, because uh, I didn't think of a question, guys. I apologize. I know. Terrible. Terrible. We may forgive you one day. Your one job. My one job and I failed it. But Mike, I thought I'd pass it over to you. Why don't you uh, introduce your pick uh, this evening and then we'll get into the trailer. Oh, okay. Well, um, since yes, this was my pick, as you said, it is 1978's Eyes of Laura Mars, which has a wonderful cast, a really interesting pedigree behind the scenes and a spectacular soundtrack and um Ro why don't you roll that brilliant disco-fied trailer for us in a world of breathtaking models and the beautiful people. Academy Award winner Faye Dunaway is photographer Laura Mars. Her work, the subject of controversy. Tommy Lee Jones is detective John Neville, intrigued by her photographs for his own reasons. These are police photographs. They are strictly our own material. They were never published anywhere at all. So my question is very simple. Why am I photographed so much like yours? That's right. Somewhere between the sensations of high fashion and the precise form of her art lies another dimension, unexplored, unexpected. Unwillingly, Laura Mars becomes a witness to a series of murders watching through the eyes of a killer. Mars. When it happens, I can't see. 
What's in front of me? What I see is that. Think of that camera as the eyes of the killer. Drawn by a mystery. Do you understand? Their lives converge. Her world, sensual, dazzling, provocative. His world, demanding, dangerous, violent. This is incredible. In the midst of all of this, I, I can't stop thinking of you. I know, I know. What, what is going on? I don't know. I mean, it's completely unprofessional of me to be walking with you in the woods, I'll tell you that. I don't that. have time for this. I'm supposed to be catching a killer. <laughs> well, I'm completely out of control. <laughs> I saw him in the elevator, so I'm killed by visions. She is linked to a killer. At any place, at any time, a witness. At any moment, a victim of her own eyes. And Letterboxd has this to say about this week's movie. A famous fashion photographer develops a disturbing ability to see through the eyes of a killer. The eyes of a Laura Mars, <laughs> even. Yeah, I think that kind of gets to the point. This is kind of like a no-frills movie. Well, I mean, lots of frills on uh, on the clothes, but... But, I mean, it's pretty lean and mean. You're right, yeah. Let's talk about uh, actors in this great film we watched uh mike why don't you lead us off well i mean listen laura mars herself the queen the legend the icon miss Faye dunaway we know her from such oscar winning hits as network mommy dearest where she plays joan crawford um chinatown bonnie and claude rules of attraction one of our personal favorites i know all of us love that movie and literally 800 other tv shows movies you name it she has been in it she had a really interesting bizarre career where she does a lot of kind of like weird indie trash and she does these weird mainstream movies that get a lot of acclaim and you just kind of find her all over the place and i mean she's you know been in the game since like the 60s so this woman has done it all and you know she carries this movie but yeah so that's uh that's my pick for stars of the movie what about you guys you go auxilia okay so um rowan told me that my person was gonna be <laughs> brad dorf you make it sound so domineering I, you could pick whoever you want i mean everybody knows don't worry i'm not saying anything <laughs> new so obviously he's in this movie <laughs> <laughs> 
this this person I'm speaking of is, stars in this movie. He also plays the voice of Chucky. Oh yeah. So I mean, that's probably the most notable, I would say, in terms of like him being big in the movie. <laughs> He's in Blue Velvet, he's in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Lord of the Rings, Dune, Halloween, I think that's the newer one, Urban Legend. Cult horror icon. Yeah, I was gonna say, he's kind of a horror legend for sure. Another one called Graveyard Shift, never heard of it, but it looks like a horror movie. Stephen King. Alien Resurrection. Yeah, Alien Resurrection. So, I mean, yeah. In a movie we saw... What? Not too long ago, a couple months ago, Death Machine, mm-hmm. which He's was in, amazing. Also in Alien, or sorry, Halloween 2, I think that's the newer one as well. Yeah, he's um, Sheriff Brackett in the new Rob Zombie's. In the Halloween Rob Zombie movies. ones, yeah. He's also in Bad Lieutenant with uh, Nicolas Cage. I've never heard of that, but it has Nicolas Cage. Oh, that's Cage, a remake so of an old Abel Ferrara movie. Oh, nice. I bet it's great, because Nicolas Cage is in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean... You would jump Nicolas Cage. Cage's bones if you ever saw him. I feel like you have the most throbbing heart on for Nicolas Cage of anybody that I've ever met. Only And if, that's saying something. Only if he did like weird faces during <laughs> Is he capable of anything other than weird faces? Like, I feel True. like that's kind of a given. We're watching, like, the history of swear words we on just Netflix. just finished it. Oh, it's done now. Yeah. Um, and he's, like, he's the host of it. I mean, I'm a sucker for Nicolas Cage. Although I was, I was braiding up, especially in this, like, history of bad words, that the die jobs really, like, noticeable, I find, recently. Yeah. Honestly, the, I never liked him until I saw Kick-Ass. And that... Oh, my God. His that role was a game changer. In, yeah. His role in Kick-Ass was just like, you came good to the, call, baby doll. Like, it's just like, I loved him ever since. You kind of came to the uh, face-off fan club late in life, I feel. Yeah, for sure. Face-offs. Nick- better late than never, though. Better late than never. Nicholas Cage, if you're listening to our podcast, hit me up. HMU. <laughs> Slide into her DMs. She, <laughs> all, all dick pics are solicited at this point. <laughs> Only from Nicolas Cage. Oh, only, yes, sorry. All Nicolas Cage penis photos are solicited. Actually, Cecily the other day sent me this thing from TikTok, and it's like a compilation of Nicolas Cage in all these outfits, and it's like, Nicolas Cage is fashion. Uh, duh. He is fashion. He is everything. Rowan, who did you assign to yourself? The Shade. The Shade Brigade is out tonight. Uh, so I decided that I would choose, uh, you know, as we talk about amazing, you know, Oscar nominee type people, Tommy Lee Jones, young, young Tommy Lee Jones, which I think I'm, uh, I'm a little less fond on than Mike, uh, from our text messages during the film. Don't even go there. I don't understand what your problem is. I don't even, I don't think he's very handsome to be honest. Okay, well, here's the thing. Uh, this is all I'm gonna say about it. In some shots, he is an absolute fox, and then in some, it looks like he's 70 years old. <laughs> True. But I don't know. It's like the hair, that like 70s hair. Like, he's really rocking it. I do like I think it like suits the shape hair. of his face. Yeah, yeah, I do like his hair. Now, I would like, I think everyone would like to know, were you sure when you sent the text message that said, Tommy Lee Jones can destroy my life? We don't have to dump the contents of the group chat onto the public. <laughs> I was sure. I was sure. <laughs> We're all sure. And you guys were like, yeah, I know. (laughs) 
some of the maybe very Oscar-worthy films that my man Tommy Lee's been in. Can I say one? Uh, of course. Batman Forever. Yeah. Why it didn't win Best Picture, I'm not <laughs> sure, but... I love Batman Forever. Can we talk about how when I was a youngster, I inherited a Batman Forever, Tommy Lee Jones, like, frosted yes, glass mug? Yes, <laughs> I had the same I don't know one. where it was from, like a gas station or it's from McDonald's, McDonald's or something. McDonald's. Okay, yeah, yeah. I had one too. Everybody had those, I swear. Like, you go to Value Village and it's like Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> frosted mugs yeah. everywhere. <laughs> Although I always see them now, like on Facebook Marketplace, people are like $50. So ridiculous. But yeah, Batman Forever, Volcano, which I definitely was like one of the only films I saw at the drive-in as a child. Um, when you say Tommy Lee and not Tommy Lee Jones, I just always think Tommy of Lee like, Jones, you know, excuse me. Tommy Lee. Blown Away. I mention that because... Uh, it was a terrible action movie that I used to be scared of when I was little. Because in the intro, they slit a guy's throat with piano wire. Ooh. And I used to, like, peek around my room when I was supposed to be sleeping. And my parents would watch it. And then I'd, like, hide because I was scared of that part. Piano wire is surprisingly sharp. Very sharp. It's got those, like, weird, yeah, like, a weird texture on it. Yeah. But I feel really like Tommy Lee Jones, like, you don't, I mean, everyone knows. No Country for Old Men, Men in Black. Not of course Men in Black. The Fugitive. Here come the Men in Black. Oh, musical rendition by Xavier Frazier. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could go on. Everyone knows who Tommy Lee Jones is, I feel. Uh, did you guys have any honorable mentions? No. <laughs> Exilia's already getting to the shade on this film. <laughs> She's the shit. Listen, the shade brigade. The shade brigade. <laughs> the shade brigade. Brigade. Listen, the shade brigade is real. I mean, we got to do honorable mention for the late great Raul Julia. Okay, yes, of AKA course. Gomez from the Adams Family yes. films. Like See, he's he can destroy I my life. I thought he was much more handsome. I mean, he's listen. He was very handsome his whole life. He's Gomez. He's like they would only cast somebody who was like ultra oozing. magnetic yeah oozing yeah a like romance. and and he just like oozed that he had that magnetism that charisma he has such and i feel like oh sorry go ahead anything he was in he, he oozed that right like i feel like he has such interesting eyes very striking eyes and it's not even about the color it's just like the shape and the look of them and he aged very well too like yeah. i mean because if you think adam's family like he was fairly i mean a lot older than this and he really didn't look that much different yeah true I... yeah but then he died shortly after that so. <laughs> did he yeah he did he died in like the mid 90s yeah. i didn't know that just in time yeah, he died very suddenly and he was very young he How made he sure die? to be in street fighter though so that was the important thing oh yes he was m bison that's right how did he die um i think it was like a heart attack or something <laughs> that's upsetting he's like i need his entire life biography mike i don't know why i said biography, biography. some biography oh wait hang on hang on i've got it here um no i don't <laughs> It just says he fell in. He always suffered a stroke and then he uh, fell into a coma. That's yeah. sad. Oh, yeah. for some reason, I thought you were going to say fell into a pool. I don't know why. I mean, the chances are if he had a pool and had a stroke, he was probably near it and might have fallen in it. I don't know. This is very true. I think it's important to talk about who directed this, Mike, because possibly someone that is responsible for some of the most important sequels of all time. It's so 
bizarre. When you look at this movie, it's not like the filmography that you expect from this person. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't know who he is, and you like go into his IMDb, and it's like, oh wow, I was very. And surprised. It's like holy shit, yeah. Like who is it? So it's directed by Irvin Kirshner. I would assume how you say his last name. I I don't know, Mike. Do you want to uh, rattle off with me? Or I mean, sure. Uh, like. But I mean, before he did this, he did Up the Sandbox, which was this really weird Barbara Streisand movie from the 70s. Um, But then after this, he did Robocop 2, and he did fucking Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) Like, this man has a filmography, like... You know, Empire Strikes Back is not something to fucking shake a stick at. Like you write, you write home to Grandma about that. <laughs> grandma, I directed Empire Strikes Back. Probably still like the most loved Star Wars movie possibly ever. I yeah. know it's my favorite. Of I mean, all essentially time. considered like when you look at the original like trilogy as like a one, two, three. Probably one of the most beloved sequels that has ever been filmed. And then uh, he hit us with a uh, RoboCop two, right? Like. Just such a bizarre filmography. And never say never again. Yeah. Got his bond on. James Bond, that is. So let's talk about first experiences. Is this your first time seeing it? If not, uh, when did you see it? Exilia, let's start with you. Uh, well, I fell asleep like three times. I know. I have several pictures in the group chat of you asleep (laughs) on the couch. (laughs) Oh, you didn't see those? (laughs) I I didn't. I was really tired. And, um... So I guess I saw it once in total. (laughs) You watched it on three separate occasions, but only completed it once. Exactly. Uh, Well, like Exilia, I didn't fall asleep. Uh, I gotta look for these pictures now. (laughs) But this was the first time I saw it. Uh, When Mike announced this at the end of Vivarium, uh, I had never heard of it, but... I was very interested. Uh, So this is my first time seeing it. Uh, How about you, Mike? Well, I haven't watched it in quite a while, but um, years ago when I was going on my... Well, first of all, I love Faye Dunaway. And one thing that we didn't know when we were rattling off the honorable mentions, and this is actually such an oversight on our part, just because we were just going for, like, director and stars, but, like, it was written by fucking John Carpenter. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. this is a John Carpenter movie, like, and you can tell it has his, like, hallmarks of, like, his thrillers and his TV movies and stuff all over it, but I kind of came into it through the John Carpenter Faye Dunaway connection, and back in the day, I used to do a lot of, like, when I was really getting into, like, film theory and film criticism, and then, of course, I've always been heavily into horror and thrillers, and this came up a lot, especially with, like, psychoanalytic um, film essays on thrillers, uh, because of the, like, eye connection and all sorts of stuff, and the, and the giallo, as you were called it earlier, um, it's kind of like an American giallo slash, like, noir. Yeah. So, um, all those things kind of, like, are in my wheelhouse, so I did watch it a couple of times, like, years ago, when I was living with the previous roommate, who also loves, like, Fade on and stuff, and, uh, you know, we got, like, kind of stoned and watched it, and like had a really good time. We love Tommy Lee Jones. We love everybody in and Brad Dorf. Oh my god, she's like a huge Chucky fan and a huge Alien fan. So this was just like we loved it. Yeah. So, uh, but I haven't watched it in years and years and years, and I don't even remember how it came back on my radar. But yeah, I thought about it and I was like, this is a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in this. And uh, you know, some people might go, it's not a horror movie, it's a thriller, but it's also like like I said, it has that giallo element and is kind of like a slasher movie. So I thought this would be a really good choice. I thought it was kind of like uh, it reminded 
reminded me of a more chic version of like Murder, She Wrote. Murder, Chic Wrote. Yes. Ah, right. Murder, Chic Wrote. Yeah. It's... That's that's the tagline for this episode, <laughs> by the way, everybody. So look forward to that when it comes out. It really to me remind me of like a murder mystery and it is but of course it has the horror slashery elements which yeah um again because john carpenter's involvement in it that's kind of like even when he does like more thriller kind of like mainstream like tv movies it always has that like more sinister element that's a bit more like edgy than your normal thriller yeah and it brings it a bit closer to like a horror frame like a horror kind of aesthetic i guess murder she wrote's kind of like a soft core slasher it 100 percent <laughs> is. is like they just i'm don't just gonna say it. right now jessica fletcher is like final girl supreme <laughs> she survived like 25 seasons of it's slasher true. movies <laughs> and continues to survive them in the books that are written by jessica fletcher that are in your local mystery section of your library and bookstore now i don't want to get into it uh too much because before we talk about this film exilia you gotta hit us with that bechtel test okay i'm not gonna lie i totally forgot to do it at the time but i was thinking about it when we sat down here and for anybody who doesn't know uh the bechtel test is basically (laughs) this like i'm gonna call it so it's like a rubric yeah like well it's like a sociological literary criticism i feel measure about how one-dimensional women are treated in movies or books or whatever visual media so basically are there more than one women are there more than one women is are more than one woman in a scene together none of that is english <laughs> english properly <laughs> but anyways let's move on <laughs> um are they speaking about something other than a man are they named and then my dimension is like the intersectionality dimension looking back i don't think there was a scene with more than one woman that they're talking about something other than a man? Um, actually, nope. I will have to stop you there. Because What's as it? you were saying it, I'm thinking about it. It's right before Lulu and Michelle get killed. They're in their apartment getting, like, like massaging each other and stuff. Yeah, but what are they talking about? I don't remember, but it's not a man. But clearly, I, I they're, don't, clearly I, they're into each other. I don't think they were talking, though. So but yes, they that... were. They were. She was talking to Faye Dunaway yeah. on the phone. So first of all, that's three women having conversations with. Okay, her. I guess. Oh yeah, I remember that because they because they were houses. they were in their apartment. Ha- yes, basically they were in their nude, apartment. rubbing yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah and I then Faye Dunaway calls her. Yeah, although that's I mean, a whole... she's calling about the killer, isn't she? The killer's yes, a man. but but the killer's a man. But we don't know that the killer's a man at the point. Okay, I'll just say and it... and to, if we're gonna get into like sociological and literary theory and stuff we have to think of this this is about the time when laura mulvey's visual pleasure and narrative cinema came out and she's talking about like the male gaze and this kind of subverts it because you don't know if it's a male or not yeah and and you're you're seeing the the first person um perspective you know it it is a male but you're seeing but it's like this weird double fold you're seeing it through laura's eyes so it kind of like fucks with the mold of like the male gaze by like filtering it through a female but also a male Mm -hmm. so it's this weird it's a very i think the bechdel test in this case is kind of a weird uh like it's fuzzy it's got like static we can't really get a grip on it I'll say it technically passed. Also, nothing to do with the actual Bechtel test, but like 
the photograph she takes. I can imagine in 1978 or whatever. It was 1978 when this came out. Yeah. I can imagine that those in the movie itself were like controversial. Oh, absolutely. And you know what's so funny? Um, The first time I watched this movie, I... And, oh, and this is... I need to say in background of why I watched this. I have a very strong interest in fashion photography as like an aesthetic. And I was actually thinking about writing some work on it when I was in grad school. Uh, that never panned out, but one of the reasons why I wanted to watch it was because this is like kind of like a slashery thriller, you know, with a fashion photographer with Fade on away in it. Like, why would I not want to see this? And when I was watching it, I all I could think about uh, was that the work that she presents in this movie reminded me so much of the photographer, very famous photographer, who we all know as photographs, even if we don't realize it, um, Helmut Newton. And he does a lot of, like, photographs of, like, nude, like, semi-nude women, and there's, like, no men at all. And actually, I have a collection of his photographs in a hardcover book called World Without Men, because it's just it's just women. And um, it wasn't until all these years later, when I rewatched it for this podcast, that I just did... Very cursory searching and um, found out that Helmut Newton actually took the photographs of like uh, that she that are used in the, the uh, exhibitions for her photographs. Interesting. So I literally looked at it and I was like, this is such a helmet. Like, I just thought it was an homage to Helmut Newton because um, he would have been like at the peak of his fame at the time. And it was actually Helmut Newton photographs. So I just thought that was really cool. Interesting. Also, everybody who is listening to this, if you don't know Helmut Newton, like check out his work. It is spectacular. Um, he's done some really iconic, great photographs of, like, Sigourney Weaver, among other people, Lauren Hutton, like, yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought, like, there, because weren't the photographs essentially, like, the crime, exactly like the crime scenes? Yeah, Yes, yeah, 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 it says, it was essentially crime scene photographs, but fashion. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but fashion, and it's like, like, the man is killed by the women. I don't know, I just found that, like, really subversive, especially for 1978. You go, John Carpenter, you go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and since we're on that, this is one of the reasons why I find this to be like firmly in the genre of horror is because of the fact that in the movie itself, you know, they acknowledge like, hey, your photos are controversial. We have a problem with it. Um, they're depraved. Um, they're going to cause people to, you know, want to do harm. And as we saw, they actually do trigger that you know, yeah. sort of in a secondary way. But even though they don't link the two explicitly, I find the fact that John Carpenter wrote this and they do actually discuss it because these are the same critiques that are leveled at horror movies. Yeah. Especially. Like, it's such... Like, I feel like this is almost like just a response to that really pedantic PTA mom critique of horror movies that like, you know, the weak minded are just going to be like, see this and want to just mimic it. Yeah. Well, right. And, and I find that all those scenes where they're talking about, you know, like, do you have a responsibility? And like the whole thing that she is actually like recreating crime scene photos even though she doesn't know it you know it's just this really interesting interrogation of aesthetic versus reality and like do you have a responsibility and actually you know like again kind of horror and thriller in general historically have been you know censored and critiqued and uh you know sort of marginalized because of these like really weak arguments and i just thought it was really interesting and i think that's why it also has ties to horror because of that critical element yeah that's a really interesting point actually 
actually the other night we were at my grandparents' house and my ever since we started the podcast, my poppy keeps being asking me like, do you know about this doll that was in a horror movie and when they moved back to Nova Scotia in the 80s, he like saw the doll. I think he said it was like the early to mid 80s that he had seen this doll and I guess there was like an outcry about how like crazy this doll was or something. Anyways, every time he asked somebody, people would be like, oh, it's probably Chucky and he's like, it's not Chucky. It's something else. So we were sitting there talking about the podcast after dinner uh, like the other day and I looked up like the most, I don't know, disturbing dolls in horror history or something and I was like, take a scroll through that and like see if any of these look familiar. So the doll that he picked out and he's like, I'm pretty sure this is the one was from Deep Red, like Dario Argento's Oh, Deep yeah. Red. And so I played a clip of it with this doll in it and like basically the guy gets his mouth he essentially gets curb stomped but on like a mantle of like a fireplace yeah and he, and he was like oh my god like this is so violent and he's like laughing and i was and he like gives he just like gets too much for him you can tell and he's he like basically like shoves my phone back at me and then i he's like laughing and he's like holy god and then i was like you know horror is actually like a really intelligent genre like it has like a lot to say it's like a lot of social commentary and stuff like that and he won't stop laughing he's like yeah i'm sure it is <laughs> so he for instance like he would be someone to be like this is just like pure you know depra- like trash, depravity yeah. or depravity or however you say it but. which like you said is interesting to kind of tie it in what you were talking about mike because her grandfather is like a really big fan of like british detective yeah. murder she wrote S type stuff. Oh, of course, where there's mutilated corpses, but um, <laughs> you don't you know, see as long them. as as long as as long as the cops are on the case, <laughs> then yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, and it's just it's interesting. I think you know, and it's a bigger conversation in general. Just you know, the lines that thrillers and stuff kind of. It's a very thin line between like what's a horror, what's a thriller. Well, actually, this person that I followed the other day on Twitter, I'll tell you their name. Hold on. Um, they posed a question. They actually, the reason I followed them because they like just pose these random questions and I think some of them are quite like thought provoking. It's something about being a blob, their name is. But anyways, so their question was like, what, like, what is horror? Well, I mean, that's, that's a good question because, you know, I think that very frequently we have to grapple with that here, mostly because of my picks. <laughs> well, but, it, but it's a question. It truly is like a legitimate capital Q question. Yeah. Uh, so their name is Judah1313 and that that's their handle and then their name is I am being blob. And that's what I said. I was like, that's actually something we struggle with a lot. Like when we're picking movies for the podcast. Yeah. And we, we always try to, to push the boundary. And I know that's part of the reason. I mean, sometimes I'm just like, I really want to talk about this movie. So that's why I pick it. But obviously I'm not going to pick something that you can't make an argument for. And I feel like sometimes I like doing that because it really does get you to to question these, like, boundaries and, like, the margins and... 
all these definitions and like some of them are fairly arbitrary and again like I feel like I made a good argument for why this could be horror and it's the same thing like every week when we when we do this it's like is this horror just because and I feel like there's some things where it's just like exploding bodies everywhere that isn't horror you know what I mean like yeah it's like what is it that makes it horror yeah and it's a constantly shifting definition it's a constantly shifting conversation and like but that's that's what's so great about it like anything about like genre is just like it's got to be such a dialogue it's discourse essentially yeah i was gonna ask this like way back in the conversation but then it the conversation kind of just like evolved elsewhere but do you think that these photos would be controversial today in 2021 no See, I disagree, because you know there'd be people on the internet, like, you know the type. It's actually funny that you mention that, because when I was watching it, I was thinking this would be something to talk about. Yeah. Because part of me thinks that, you know, oh, this is 1978, and, like, this kind of, like, highly stylized photography, because you're not used to seeing, you're used to seeing your violence portrayed in, like, grindhouse, grainy horror films, not in sleek commercial because it's literally commercial like the whole thing is you know she has these clients and they're trying to sell cars and shit but the cars are exploded and there's dead bodies everywhere right and it's it's the whole like notion that like you're pairing this sleek commercial thing with the violence yeah and i feel like at the time that was way ahead of its time and that was something that was really being grappled with because it was just starting to happen so i want to say sure in the like 40 odd years since then We've moved on. But I was looking at them and I was like, you know, we've we've seen like art photography and like fashion photography doing this over and over and over and film. But honestly, I feel like today when you look at that, if you looked and saw a commercial with that in it, it would still be, it would still upset people. That'd be really controversial. I yeah, think. I'm resenting Absolutely. my answer. Yeah. I'm saying no to you because now that I think about it, I feel like, yeah, there's no way these would fly. I no. feel like, you know, I... Jesus, you can't say anything. I'll sound like a damn, no, but that, I'll sound but like that's a the damn thing. It's like the morality police are yeah. still like that yeah, has not so gone blessed. anywhere. There's still this like kind of puritanical, yeah, moral like rubric that certain people have that stuff like this is never going to fly through. It doesn't matter if we're desensitized to it; exactly. like it's not going to fly. And there's always like moral panic about this stuff, you know. Well, and I absolutely, and it goes in cycles, and yeah. you see it like every ten years, right? Like, and we really haven't progressed that far from ex- with accepting violence because yeah exactly I feel like there's still I think we're almost like or less accepting of violence because we are living in a society that's so much about like safety and stuff like that yeah sorry Rowan go ahead well no I was just gonna say like I feel too that th- these photos if taken today for like Mike said a commercial shoot it wouldn't have it wouldn't happen this is like I feel like on Twitter this would cause like so much infighting with like popular feminists on Twitter because I I just you'd have that whole like this depiction of murdering women and it's commercial no it's murdering men yeah I know that but murder in general yeah and I just feel like I think it's like the gift and the curse of social media I think it would be picked apart but then you have and then I'm just saying then companies would pull it like they'd be like I mean and then you have the people on the right that are like these feminazis 
blah blah blah. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, know? it's true, right? Yeah, it's it's true. There's there's always that like kind of policing of art. Yeah, they don't. They're not interested in discourse. They're not interested in engagement. They're interested in shutting it down. It, in their, and that's their true agenda. though. And that's true. And then the, there is that sort of, and that's that is the thing these days. It, back then, it was like, oh, we're more open to like art, and you know, like let's do this. Let's do something different, and you know, interesting, and um, let's have a conversation. But you know, now when people do that, it's I feel like it, it has it's like gone to a different extreme where yeah. it's like they don't want to have a conversation. They still want to kind of shut it down. <laughs> you know, so I feel like it would still be intensely controversial. So before we get too far into it, I have to know. I need to know your eyes' favorite kills, favorite scenes. And I'm going to put it on Mike first. Um, okay, I'll tell you my favorite scene. It's not a kill per se. It's just a scene that I literally always remember. And actually, I posted a still from it on my Twitter a couple days ago when I was re-watching the movie. And it's the scene where near the beginning of the movie where she does the, her first real, like, setup for a photo shoot. And it's the one where she's out on the streets and um, oh, the cars yeah. are on fire. And they're playing that amazing song, which, by the way, like, we have not talked about this and we have to. The song... All the music, music oh, we'll music. Get the Barbara Streisand, we won't go there yet, but like the song that they play during this, which is Burn, and it's by these two people that I don't think have ever like put anything out since. I think they just wrote it for this movie. But it has that like crazy intense like New York hot summer vibe while she's shooting the girls like in front of a car that's on fire but there's like the fountain in the background so it's like fire and water and all the elements and like they're pulling at each other and wearing like these crazy cool coats and stuff and i just think that that's such an intense scene like with the music blaring over it and that's the whole point it feels really chaotic and i just like drank it up and it's just beautiful. It's beautiful watching somebody like, and she's like, you know, Faye is like wearing these like really cool boots and stuff and like they're lighting everything. And it's kind of like a cool, like watching someone behind the scenes and it's just very intense and it's such a great moment in the movie and I love it. So how about you, Exilia? I like the scene at the, when they do the exhibit. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, well, I have two. I like that scene. And then, um, I actually don't have a favorite kill, but my other favorite scene is not nearly as like exquisite as Mike's, but it's when she turns on the light and she's in her bedroom and she wakes up because if that bedroom didn't have carpet, I would like kind of be all about it. Okay. Hang on. I need to read the note that I have in my notebook right now. Okay. It's the third, it's the fourth thing that I wrote. While watching this, X will love this apartment. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I was like, the whole time I was like, X is going to be like dripping over this apartment. I I really like the apartment. I love the apartment. I don't know about having like a bedroom full of mirrors, but you know, like I'm kind of into it. But yeah, but I mean, like, it's also like a choice in terms of like the whole movie. It's like yeah. Eyes of Laura Mars and it's all about like looking and seeing and like the ways yeah. that we see like our like through your eyes, through a camera, through a mirror, through somebody else's eyes. Right. And I just thought that w- having those scenes and the shots in the w- with the mirrors everywhere yeah. was such a like really cool commentary on like how we see and how we look yeah. and how things are refracted five times before they get to our eyeballs. Great for the movie maybe not great for like reality practically it is awful yeah (laughs) right like it's i can only imagine the like nightmare i i hate it i'm sorry i just this is somebody who the only mirror i have in my 
that I've ever had in an apartment in the last like 10 years has been whatever the medicine cabinet oh. bathroom. I never have I never have mirrors in my bedroom. I don't like looking at myself. I get dressed and don't look at myself in the morning. Like I hate mirrors. So like having a mirror all over my bedroom is literally a fucking nightmare. If I'm at work and I see and I look up and see myself in a mirror, I like actually get frightened. <laughs> oh my god. I can't imagine waking up and sitting up in bed and then looking at yourself. Sing oh my god. Oh, I have a No. I have a mirror right in front of like my like right in front of where I wake up, like in my bed. I also bought a mirror for my living room today. <laughs> she has a lot of decorative mirrors that don't have real mirror purposes. I can't even see myself in the mirror I put in my living room because it's too high, but it's just for the aesthetic. Yeah, but see, also, I got traumatized when I was very young when I saw Poltergeist 3 on TV ah! and all that, and they were all in mirrors, so I just have hated mirrors ever since I was, like, a young in any way. That's fair. But I also just hate looking at myself, so... I was gonna say I did love the Mike. I did love the apartment because if I remember correctly, it has my all time favorite apartment feature where it goes like down. Yeah, I love that. I love oh, that. Oh, a sunken floor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like. Mad Men style. If you can have an it's apartment a- that's down and even has like almost like a balcony, was on it in it. the living room? That's a yeah. com- it's called a conversation pit. Love conversation it. pit. Yeah, love it. That's like my all time favorite it. thing. Yeah, I I just love that feature. I just want to say that um, in my old place when my friends lived upstairs, it wasn't a pit per se, but like when they're the like hallway slash uh, dining room is what met up and then you know you had the living room off of that it did go down a bit so you could Uh. sit like we used to sit around the step yeah. So it was a little bit sunken in, and that was my favorite thing ever. I thought it was a great feature. Now, not so great when you're at a party and you've drank. <laughs> True. Your body weight in alcohol, and you can barely stand up, and you're tripping over it. And, like, we used to trip over it and fall down all the time. But aesthetically, conversation pits are chef's kiss. Yeah, I Beautiful. love it. So my favorite kills, favorite scenes. I also don't think I necessarily have a favorite kill in this, but I will do do the typical auxilia cheat with two favorite scenes. Number one, just the intro. Once that, oh my god! Once that Barbara Streisand song kicks in, which fuck, we have added to the playlist on Spotify. It's is, a banger, man! It's a banger. It is like super, super epic. Yeah. Uh, so just all of that, like when that kicked in, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm sold. I'm in for the ride on this one. This movie can be a piece of shit as long as this is the song. Oh yeah, you got that Belter opening and closing the movie, like that bookend of Barbara Belting. Mm, the triple B Barbara Belting bookend it's just Barbara. perfection well and it was so and I thought it was kind of funny especially where Irvin Kirshner has directed a Bond film because it reminded me of like a Bond intro with like that grand kind of like ballad oh yeah it's very much like Shirley Bassey like Goldfinger yeah um, but it's funny because he directed her in something before this up the sandbox and I think that they were together I don't know if they were married but I do believe that they were an item for a while and 
rumor has it that she oh, was actually yeah. supposed to be in this, but then she just did the theme song instead. Yeah, I, I was going to say I did read that this whole project was created for her. Yeah, it was like a Barbara vehicle. And this was going to be like kind of her like, you know, rise in the film world. Oh, yeah. get out, To get into the like thr- the lucrative thriller world in the late 70s. Come on. But I, I think I read like something. I think she just thought it might be like a a little too like risque or something yeah or, but the song like i'm glad she kept the song because the song is a bad oh it's epic it's epic like every song used in this movie is epic but that one in particular like oh yeah i just like i want to wake up in the morning and just if i had a mirror in my bedroom i'd get out of bed and just look at myself and like blare that barbara streisand prisoner song like it's oh. prisoner reprise at the end of the day and then uh so probably my second or my second favorite scene, we're going to go all the way to the end. I love the scene with Tommy Lee Jones, like when he stabs the mirror and like that whole thing, like what great acting from, from Tommy Lee Jones. Like I just thought it was really well done. He did a really good job. It was like, he just did an awesome job, like, making it a little unsettling and just, like, him talking and, like, his frantic mind going where you kind of... I know when me and Exilia watch it, like, and Exilia's like, well, who's he talking about? And what's he talking about? I, I miss... I missed one crucial line <laughs> and it just kind of like fucked the whole thing up It for me. snowballed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I like, cause you kind of have to piece it together. Like, cause one moment he's like, he's talking about like Raul's character and then, but really he's talking about him. Yeah, he just like, flips a pronoun at like one point and if you're not paying attention you don't notice it but that's what's so great about it like you're right because his that performance is so slick he just flicks from like that charming like oh my god like tommy lee jones swoon like take care of Faye," to you know he just flicks a switch and you don't even realize it and i mean obviously i mean if you listen to this podcast you know we don't give spoiler alerts the whole damn thing's a spoiler yeah that's it's uh, but i mean the twist at the end got me like i did not think it was tommy lee jones well when i because rowan's like i don't get it who's the killer and i was like what if it's him and then he was like eh I don't think so. Which I, but I, I think it's really good for the time period. Cause of course I was like, oh, it's like the seventies. Like I'm like, they're going to keep the love interest thing. And, and that's going to kind of be there till the end. And not really what I should have been processing is it's John Carpenter. And he is yeah. definitely going to give us something good at the end. But yeah, those are my favorite scenes. You touched on it briefly, Mike. I, I did want us to talk a bit because I, the first thing I thought about when I was watching this was kind of the critique on the male gaze, you know, because I I think it's pretty heavy in this, uh, you know, because we don't know if it's a woman or a man murdering. Like you said, we, you know, we get this gaze, like... Typical man asking the other man about the male gaze. Well, no. I'm just just (laughs) You didn't let me finish. I'm just kidding. So what what I was hoping is that maybe Exilia could explain the male gaze with her wonderful sociological mind for the listeners. I was gonna say, I'm barely a man, so... Please don't. 
So yeah, Exilia, maybe you could explain the male gaze for everybody. It's basically when a man basically has a representation of a woman. Like, say in visual, like, visual media, um, the woman as, like, a sexual object, basically, that's just the purpose is the, to be there to be a sexual object for heterosexual men in the audience, basically. Yeah, and it's like the camera is a substitute for... The man. The eye of the male, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when you're looking at a movie and you see a woman undressing, you know, it's, like, through the eyes of a man. Yeah. It's not a camera, it's... It's the gaze of the male. I mean, should, because I remember I got in trouble, not in trouble. I was having a conversation with somebody when I was in undergrad in university and I was reading a book on the bus and it was about film theory. And uh, this girl that I knew came up to me and sat down and she's like, oh my God, what are you reading? And, you know, I was like, oh, it's this book about the male gaze. And I was telling her about it for, and we were sitting there and she was just sort of not, and this is a really, like this girl was so smart and so brilliant, but she was just kind of like looking at me blankly and going like, like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And then after me, like, like just explaining it and going like, oh my God, like she doesn't understand what I'm saying. Like what's going on? She looks at me and goes, oh my God, you mean G-A-Z-E, <laughs> like the look of the male. She goes, I just kept hearing male gaze and thought it was G-A-Y-S, like plural <laughs> gay males. <laughs> I was like, no, like the gaze, like the look of the male, the act of looking. So we should, we should just clarify that we're talking about looking as a male. Yeah. And that's why I'm always like quite suspicious of movies or anything, but in this case of movies that are done by men that try to be, I think we talked about it maybe during the house episode that try to be like hyper feminist, da, 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 da. But I'm always very critical because like the lens is still, it's still a man, a male. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't, I don't know your guys' opinion. Like I didn't, I thought like Mike brought up, there's a lot of commentary about like, not just male gaze, but like lenses and things we see through, like literally mirrors. the camera. Yeah, the camera, your eyes. But I mean, I definitely didn't feel that this movie was trying to be like a critique on that or like on a gaze or necessarily. No, I, I think it wasn't you're right. trying to be like a feminist film. It it wasn't. It wasn't a movie that like the crux of it was no. a critique of that or an interrogation. You know, it was very clear clearly a you know like kind of a pulpy noir thriller but i feel like it just was influenced by all of the film theory and the you know kind of like discourse at the time and you know it's but like with anything you know it it says things that it doesn't mean to say exactly you know that's like that's that's like freud for you you know that's the psychoanalysis like it's you know give me lines to read between like it's saying things that it doesn't mean to yeah but at the same time i think that you are correct in saying that it was not explicitly setting out to be that critique because they only address that explicitly in the movie like twice near the beginning and then it just sort of falls into that uh noir thriller yeah uh mode i feel like if basically the only message that we sent like put across to people was one that was an intentional you wouldn't be able to like have cultural studies and yeah. stuff like that these, yeah these, exactly these people are informed by culture and like different things that they've read different interactions they've had i mean those things are inevitably going to shape what they produce exactly like i said like it's the the climate of the time was very much laura mulvey that like psychoanalytic film criticism and i feel like john carpenter like did he i think he i feel like he did film criticism too so i feel like he would have been hyper aware of that 
sort of school of thought. Yeah. And as a, like, you know, fairly intelligent filmmaker, you know, that would have been in his mind. So I feel like, yeah. you know, again, as with anything, when you look at it through that kind of like psychoanalytic lens, you will see these these things bubbling up, whether they mean it or not. And uh, like you said about horror in general, it sort of like magnetizes elements of society and culture just by virtue of what it does. Yeah, exactly. Right? It sort of picks up... And, oh my god, who was it? Bloom? Somebody was talking about the anxiety of influence, you know? And it's like, it's this school of thought where the more you claim to not be influenced by something is actually, like... The more you are influenced. The more you are influenced by it, even if it's subconsciously. So if you... I just keep thinking of the meme of Mariah Carey saying, no, I never heard of her. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And that every time I see that, I laugh because I think about, like, writing essays on the anxiety of influence. It's like the um, lady doth protest too much. That's a real- even if you even if you say I've never heard of that person or I don't know that like school of thought. Like the the more you kind of like claim not to have been influenced by it, the the more there's like potentially a chance that you will consciously you are. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, not to get too deep into a rabbit hole, but I was thinking as I was watching this and with it being written by John Carpenter, because I, I thought with Laura Mars, like, it was almost very intentionally, like, she wasn't sexualized whatsoever in this film. No, not really. Even though she's, like, the object of Tommy Lee Jones' desire, like, she dresses very modestly, like, she's pretty- Yeah, she's very much, like, high-collared blouses, you know, that, like, go up to her chin. Maybe, and then, maybe but- he's sexually attracted to modest dress. No, but I was thinking about then, you know, this theme, like- we also get that with, like, Laurie Strode. Like, yeah. this kind of theme of John Carpenter where he really, like, doesn't sexualize the female lead. But then I guess just my critical brain then thought, is there also a negative side to that where these lead females, like, almost don't have a sexuality at all? I mean, it's They're like- made to be... They're always, like we said, like, clothes up to your neck. Like, they're always... I think it's, like, there should be a balance, you know? Women (laughs) were people, you know? (laughs) Yeah. We're sexual beings, but also not always just, like, you know, like a bomb. But you can't be reduced to that at the same time. Exactly. That's not all women are, but women are that as well. Yeah. Manifold human beings. Like, there's many facets, right? But that's that's what's, like, film, like, um, Final Girl Theory says that, like, specifically that that person who survives is going to be less sexualized. Yeah. Because that makes them, like, less feminine and more male. Yeah. Because Which, males aren't traditionally fem- or sexualized. Well, and it's interesting because, like, this is, I mean, now you're, like, going down a whole thing. But that's kind of the issue with kind of pushing women more in the direction of, if you're feminist, you should be more masculine. And, like, kind of looking down upon women that are, like, quite a bit more on the feminine side. But, I mean... That just kind of, you know, plays into, like, sexism as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think you should, I think it's about balance. And, like, 
women aren't one dimensional. That's kind of what the Bechdel test is about. So, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I, I feel like it's a, a rabbit hole of it could be, it could, like we said, like you're kind of projecting your own thoughts and everything into these films, even if the creators didn't intend it. There's, I think, a difference between a difference maybe between being sexual and being sexualized. Yes, and it's funny because this movie sort of looks at that because she does have, you know, like like I said, she's not overly sexualized, but she is sexual with Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. But then you have all these critics in this movie, like the reviewers and even Tommy Lee Jones himself when he shows up at a review, saying that she's sexualizing, right? Like, yeah. her photos are very much about, like, yeah. the naked, slicked-up bodies. And, you know, she's friends with these people, like like Lulu, who, by the way, um, we have not mentioned Lulu the model, Queen. <laughs> like, her interviews with the cops and stuff just cracked me up, like... What an interesting character, and she's so charismatic. And, like, you know, she even says she's kind of, like, you know, has that kind of model, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. But, like, you know, I just, I found that whole play between, like, her as a woman in the movie, like, sexualizing a woman in the name of art, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just, the whole interplay of it, I thought, was so fucking amazing, and it, it's just so thought provoking. And even though I think like 1978, like it's still all of the issues kind of at play here, I think are still sadly, frighteningly relevant. I think my opinion is like, just in terms of life, I don't think other people should sexualize anybody or women in particular. I think women should have full autonomy and you know, that's, it's their choice what to do, not anybody else's. It would definitely be odd if you thought differently. Would it? Because lots of people do. I mean, I guess if you were, it's, it's kind it's, of a. Whop, but I mean, it's and, kind and, of a wop conversation. And like the funny thing is that we won't go, we won't go too far down this rabbit hole. But like, I think you're bringing up all these really interesting points. Like, it, it kind of ventures into that sort of. Uh, thought of you know like you kind of get with like people arguing like for and against sex work and it's like saying that people are being exploited and you know and that's the thing it's like if someone is sexualizing themselves is that sexualizing like you know what is it it's it's you know and and who gets to make that decision and who gets to say who is doing it to who it's interesting and and like, like, who is saying who has agency and who doesn't? You know what right. I mean? Like, I think it's really interesting because Rowan and I actually randomly <laughs> had this exact conversation in the car today. I, re- <laughs> I recently read this um, book of poetry. I think it's based out of the U.S. Um, called A Whore's Manifest- a Manifesto. And it's the whole point of it. So there's like people of color. There's non-binary folks. There's transgender um, like sex workers. Like that's, it's the focus of... like people on the margins and the whole point of the book was to show that sex workers aren't a monolith there's some there's some people that like are coerced into it and don't want to do it and are really quite doing it against their will and then there's some people that are just doing it and i personally know have known both i've known people that do sex work that it's not a hundred percent their choice and then i know people who have done it that it is a hundred percent their choice now i find the difference between that is the people who it's not it's like very much mediated by 
someone else. Yeah, obviously. Exactly. Whereas the women that I know that do it because they want to do it, or something they feel maybe empowered by, or what, who knows? Yeah, and I think that if that's something you want to do, like that's perfectly fine. Do right? I do I think people should be like forced to do that against their will? Obviously not. But yeah, if that's something that you like, you go out and do out of your own free choice, then like, who am I to say no? Right. And that's kind of similar to the argument about like horror movies in general and about the like photos that she takes in this. And it's like, exactly. Everything isn't a monolith. And you can't treat everybody as if they're being exploited. And that's what I loved. Like, the models in this, like Lulu, like, they clearly enjoy this work that they're doing. Yeah. You know, they, she has things to say about these photographs. She really enjoys it. She, you know, is like laughing about the gun and the blood and stuff. So you can't, you know, like, who is, who's going to say that she's exploited when she would probably make the argument herself that she's not? Yeah. Again, maybe some people are, right? And it's, but it's the same. And it like, it's just. You can't make these blanket arguments for yeah. people, yeah. you know, and uh, because doing that actually takes their agency away by exactly. saying that they have no agency. Exactly. And it's just, it's the same thing. Like, like people in horror movies are exploited or, you know, like it's just can't make that argument because it's reductive. Right. And now obviously, like if you've listened to what we say, we don't condone people being exploited. Oh, no, 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 In no. any way. Don't speak for everyone. Well, I'm just saying Mike and I don't condone people being exploited <laughs> you do I. or Rowan but um yeah it's just important to let and, people speak for themselves I guess right and Rowan and I were speaking about like the privilege that comes along with being able to make that choice for yourself like the privileged background that the people I know personally that are have been involved in sex work that have chosen that for themselves, they do all come from like very privileged backgrounds. It wasn't like, I'm not going to eat or I'm going to, you know, what? there wasn't a choice yeah. in terms of that. But yeah, it's a really interesting topic that I feel like you could have, you know, I mean, people, there's millions of books and courses and yeah. Probably podcasts. Yes. That... Yeah, probably, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's beyond the scope of this podcast. Podcasts <laughs> that aren't going to, right after you listen to this in-depth conversation, like talk about barbastrizing songs yeah. and stuff. I mean, it's kind of the same with violence against women in, in movies. Yeah. I, I literally work with women that have had like atrociously violent things happen to them and... Watching horror is not about condoning violence against women. There's, you know, you got to take it all into context and like, you know. No, exactly. I thought that was, I had a note about the ending of the movie and that was sort of similar to what you're saying there. And um, my thoughts were that like at the end of it was that he earlier, Tommy Lee Jones in the movie, when he first shows up at her exhibit, you know, makes a comment about how depraved it is and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, obviously then he speaks to, like, these reporters that are there just for the salacious, like, oh, this is disgusting and this is going to cause violence. You know, and then he talks about, like, his incredibly fucked up life, you know, that he had and the, the traumas that he suffered. And I was like, all I could think of was, you know, the the funny thing about, you know, that argument about, like, you know, does like representation of violence beget violence, but reality is so much more fucked up. It's so than much more any right. representation yeah. of violence could be. So like you can't say, you know, like it's there's also like, the 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 violence and shit like predates a representation of it. Right. 
The, the well, representation yeah. is like a symptom. Yeah, exactly. Essentially. Exactly. You can't, you can't, you can't say like, let's eradicate the symptom. That's like saying, you know, let's put a fucking bandaid over it and not actually treat the problem. Right. <laughs> Just keep putting band-aids over that cut. But like. And for those of us who have experienced like trauma that has, you know, resulted from violence, some people find watching horror movies very cathartic for that. Mm-hmm. Some people find it incredibly triggering. Yeah. Um, depending but again, on it's where because you're at. You can't, but, not everybody, like, the psychology of yeah. it is different for every individual. Yeah, some people find it's, like, you know, a really good release. So, yeah, it's it's just, like, people are complicated. We're, we're, we're messes of human beings, we are, and that's the fucking best way to be beautiful messes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess to get on to something a little more lighter for topic... I want to know if I'm the only one that, uh, when I watch a 70s horror movie or 70s movies in general, I just always think about made-for-TV movies. Like, I feel they all have that kind of aesthetic. Yes, well, that's why I was thinking Murder, She Wrote. I, I really... Oh, absolutely, 100%. I, re- I really like the pick, uh, Mike, because, like, the client I work with at my work, he, like, pretty much exclusively watches, like, really terrible made for tv movies you find like with that we find them on youtube from like 60s 70s 80s maybe early 90s playlist on my youtube of weird shitty 60s 70s 80s like made for tv movies i already told exilia that i want i want to make a new podcast where i just review made for tv movies oh we're doing it i've got my next few picks are gonna be like (laughs) shit you gotta watch on youtube so just prepare yourself jeez (laughs) but it's so funny that you mentioned that because while i was watching this i was thinking of another john carpenter movie that i sort of alluded to earlier that i haven't watched in years i only ever saw it like once on some movie channel or something but he did around this time. I don't know the exact date. Give me one second. Um, it was in the late 70s. It was the same year as this. Actually, it was 1978. It was called Someone's Watching Me. And it starred another beautiful blonde, a Lauren Hutton. We love stand her adore her um and it was about her in a high rise being being watched by somebody and you know it was like creepy phone calls and stuff but again it's that like voyeurism and like viewing and like the gaze and like subjugation and like agency and stuff like that so i just but and you know it was that was a classic kind of like 70s prototypical tv movie thriller yeah right about this woman who's being like harassed you know, it was very much like cutting edge. And I just thought it was so funny because I was watching this and I was going, this is definitely an upscale movie. Like, you got Faye Dunaway, you know, you have Tommy Lee Jones, you have the director of Empire Strikes Back. You know, you've got Helmut Newton doing the photographs and this like really crazy, like really cool, you know, 70s like disco score. Barbara Streisand, but it has that, it does call to mind that, like, TV movie aesthetic. Yes, definitely. So I thought that's a really cool, like, pickup. Exilia says, yes, definitely. Uh, she fell asleep three times. She knows that made-for-TV movie struggle. Yeah. So are we comfortable to get into, is it scary or unsettling? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with you, Exilia. I didn't. I didn't really think so. I think the only thing that was like semi unsettling about it was that she could see the murders through her own eyes. I guess if that's a way to word it. Like, I and feel, by the way, I, I love like that they never ever like explain that. That's what that, and I think that's also, and I meant neglected 
to mention this when we were talking about like what makes it a horror movie. I think that's like peak horror movie is that like she kind of has these psychic powers. So yeah. it has this supernatural element yeah. that's just never investigated. Yeah, that's it's true. It's just taken for granted, yes. So, yeah, I feel like if I were her- was her, I would probably be unsettled by that. <laughs> uh, Mike, how about you? Um, I mean, no, I didn't find it unsettling or scary, really. I liked the ideas that it presented, and I thought the investigation of kind of like the nature of thriller and horror and the impact on that like it's supposed to have on society and like can it can art cause real life damage by inspiring other people to you know act on it yeah vaguely unsettling but not really i mean i was along for the ride it was like a nice stylish thriller that i just sort of i just you know loved drinking my glass of wine and getting (laughs) washed away in it uh so i will say no to either one i found Some of the, throughout the film, like, a lot of the loud kind of noises unsettling. But then I just realized it was exhilarating snoring. And that I had to pause the movie. No, I, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's kind of got that, like made for tv quality so it, it wasn't anything like too intense i didn't i didn't need to shut it off because my heart w- couldn't take anymore uh, i mean other than when i uh saw Raul julia's eyes that was pretty much it so let's get into rating this uh this was your pick mike we'll start with you okay i'm gonna i'll i'll give it my rating and qualify So I'm giving it a yay, but I do realize, like, I'm not saying this is a fantastic movie. I know it's flawed (laughs) in many ways. I know that it's got plot holes everywhere. Like, these are things that I realize. But I also think that, as we sort of touched on earlier, any even garbage, like, you know, grade Z shit that got pumped out of someone's basement, you can look at it and because horror is like a sponge for kind of the world around it, whether it realizes it is or not like every horror movie can kind of like hold up to like social critique but i think that this one in particular has a lot going on beneath the surface that just watching it as a thriller is not really going to pick at like there's a lot to unpack aesthetically ideas like sociologically psychoanalytically there's a lot going on and i feel like it's one of those that like you could watch a bunch of times and kind of riff on And because of that, I think that it transcends the, like... Like, I feel like it's a serviceable, stylish thriller. Yeah. Like, it's it's a pretty decent thriller for 1978. It doesn't hold up spectacularly because I feel like, you know, a lot of shit that came after it was way more sophisticated in terms of plot. But, like, you know, again, this is, like, round about the same time as he put out Halloween. So you're looking at something that's kind of, like, essentially a more slick mainstream slasher movie just dressed up in like you know fancy designer clothes so i feel like in that way there's like a lot to unpack so i i I will give it a yay for the like layers that we can dig at in this movie okay that's what i'm saying yeah and i uh i always get after exilia about explaining things and i failed so if you're a new listener our rating system is nay okay yay and slay You go next, Rowan. So I'm going to go next. So I'm going to give it an okay. I think I like this a little less than Mike. I will say I kind of, turning it on, expected to give it a nay. I saw the trailer. I was like, it's probably going to be a nay for me. I have to split it up. The movie gets an okay 
the theme song gets a slay. Yes, prisoner Barbara, sing it, bitch. The song came in, it was banging, and I was like, all right, I'm all for this. I'll bet now that you wish that you had seen this movie when you were teenagers and you used it as your wedding song. Oh my god. <laughs> Can you imagine? I can only imagine you guys like walking down to the aisle, but to Prisoner by Barbara Streisand. (laughs) I wish. Yeah, no, it turned out better than I thought. I did think it had periods where it lulled a bit and, you know, I thought probably could have been tightened up, but especially like the last 20 minutes I really enjoyed it I like I didn't know who the killer was so the twist ending I was like oh shit and like I thought it was fun and I think it gets bumped up to an okay for me because of everything we kind of said like I think it has a lot of interesting conversation points in it that if you watch this you could talk to people about and and have a very interesting intelligent conversation or just talk about how all these people were young and dreamy but yeah it's gonna get an okay from me how about yourself Exilia? So I was originally gonna give it a nay overall plot wise I thought it was pretty damn bland but (laughs) 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 I love the I love the aesthetic like the interior design aesthetic I love like the fashion aesthetic aspect um and mostly I'm gonna give it an okay because of the conversations you can have about it so this going into recording I was gonna give it a nay but I've rethought it and I think that the conversation alone warrants an okay so two okays and a yay I say that's pretty fair I, I was expecting a lot less from this. I was fully expecting two nays from you guys, so this is this is go- going much better than I thought it would. <laughs> much better, thank you. So I ne- feel vindicated in my decision right now. <laughs> Although, listen, bitches, you know that I'll purposely pick things that I think you're going to hate, because I want to have that argument. That's right. <laughs> Bring that heat. Uh, so next up, we have the budget game. If you're a new listener, the way this works is I know how much the movie cost and how much it made, and Exilia might have to guess, and if Exilia loses, she has to ship her cats to Newfoundland. What? <laughs> We all know the cats are going to hate me, so that's just an awful idea, but we'll do it. (laughs) So, how much does the movie cost? Exilia, I'm interested to hear your opinion. One million dollars on the dot. One mil on the dot? Mike? I will say, like, six million. Because I feel like, you know, at the time, like, Faye Dunaway was very much, like, in her Oscar peak. So, Mike, you're going to take it. What? Damn! uh, First time in weeks! (laughs) This movie costs seven million dollars. Oh my god. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> Faye and Tommy were not cheap, I guess. And like they I had mean, cool in the gang, like or no, Casey and the Sunshine Band. Sorry. Yeah, Casey like, and the, the Sunshine Band, like the music. Barbara, like <laughs> And I'm thinking too, uh what did you say his name was? Like the photographer and stuff. Like he Oh probably, Helmet Helmet Newton, yeah. This was like an expensive They probably had to pay a pretty penny for him to do that. Okay, how much do you think it made, Mike? Um, I'm gonna say like eleven million dollars. Eleven million. Exilium. I just wanted to have recouped its budget. That's all. Three million dollars. So, Mike, Girl. you're gonna take the whole round. So this movie made twenty million dollars. Oh my god! Listen, girl, your cynicism 
sunk you this episode, okay? I'm <laughs> just saying. It almost tripled what it made. Congratulations. Yeah, big time. Big time. <laughs> uh, so next up, we just have some of our shameless promotion. So just to let you know, if you want to hear the banger that is Barbara Streisand Prisoner, it is on the It Slays podcast horrific playlist on Spotify. Hear that and so many more great songs from movies we've reviewed or movies that we might review in the future. But unfortunately... You will not hear the Michael Ski and Uversteen song Burn, which is played while she's taking the photographs in front of the burning cars, because that shit is only available on bootleg. Damn. But I do have it, so uh, DM me if you want the link. <laughs> uh, make sure to follow us on all our social media. It slays podcasts. Uh, if you want to get yourself some merch... I know uh, we got some rockin' shirts, and I've been rocking a face mask. There's totes. Uh, you can go to Redbubble, look up It Slays Podcast, and buy yourself something. Also, if you enjoy what you hear and you want to help financially support the podcast so we can do cool things, uh, it helps upgrade. I.e. do what you want us to. Exactly. Pay, you know, $5 tier, you get to pick what we do. And guess what? I have my sole New Year's resolution this year is to ship things and mail them in a timely manner. That's why Mike has gotten his present after five years. As well as five years. Colton has gotten a card. Oh. And Jennifer, she has gotten a second card. That's right. We love you guys. So yeah, go to sloppy wet kisses. (laughs) Go to patreon.com slash it slays podcasts and uh, check it out. And yeah, uh, you get a shout out on the show. We'll shout you out. Maybe you pick what we review. Or even come on and, you know, shoot the shit. Review it yourself. Pick a a shitty movie like uh, Cecily did and come on and talk about it with us. By the way, hopefully having her back again soon. Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, uh, we would greatly appreciate it if you gave us a review on iTunes, a star, and a text one. Because if you leave a text review, we'll read it on the podcast, no matter if it's good or bad. Especially if you're critical of me. That's right. (laughs) Just read me, bitches. Throw me under the bus. Put on those reading glasses. That's right. Read, read. The library is always open here, okay? It helps uh, get us seen more on iTunes when people search for horror podcasts. So it helps us, and we'd greatly appreciate it. There is no announcement for a next movie because we are waiting for the end of the month. We are waiting. The voting is going frantically right now. Every day there's a new vote for what two films we're going to review in February for our two-year anniversary. Oh my god. I could vomit two years. I know, right? We're uh, we're in round two of voting, so make sure to follow our social media because we'll announce them uh, once we have the final two. Uh, so that is everything, and next time you hear us, we'll be celebrating our uh, month-long anniversary, and we are excited to review movies that you guys have picked for us. We're like the annoying bitch who says, it's my birthday week! <laughs> like, you get one day. No, it's our birthday month. (laughs) It's our birthday month. And we've been reminding you for two months. That's right. And just, yeah, keep an eye on the social media stuff. Because there's a, let's just say a modern day treat bag up for grabs. That's right. Come to our party. Leave with a treat bag. 
we're gonna definitely be posting about all the cool things that you can win so keep an eye out and no mike you can't enter to win it so you're out of luck i just want to wear my own face on a t-shirt okay (laughs) soon soon so I think that is everything. Uh, as always, thank you for the immense support. We enjoyed doing this. I am your humble host, Rowan. Bye, it's Exilia. It's Mike. Goodbye. See you later. We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store. Back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing, inquiring minds want to know? I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick encrustations dying on the surface. What the prime time gets? Mom with the new flesh. The pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. We've got to return some video.